Totally. Because when we do that and we are feeling good about ourselves and not needing external validation all the time, then we give ourselves permission to be creative. And, you know, we can deal with people not liking us and we can deal with feedback that we get that might not be positive feedback because we like ourselves. And I think this is where we could really ditch a lot of our stress and anxiety if we just made decisions for ourselves and not needing everybody else to approve them and rely on them for our self-esteem and our self-worth because we know who we truly are. Hey girl, so how are you? I'm great. How are you? Fabulous. How, how was, was your, your weekend? weekend? <laughs> uh, the weekend was great. We are honoring your family's tradition of uh, going for a lake swim May 1st. Because uh, that's what you guys almost. do up there in the caribou. Yeah, it's an almost polar bear. It's like just past the polar bear because the ice has just melted. And sometimes it's a little shardy still, the water. Shardy. <laughs> yeah good word yeah i i have always resisted cold water cold water swims i think people that do the polar bear swim have a degree of of craziness like if i'm really honest i'm always like yeah you do that not for me and this year we just had such a beautiful day on may 1st and we thought we're just going to take the kids to the beach and the kids can play in the sand and then when we realized it was may 1st of course then luke was like this is family tradition we need to go for a swim And so we brought our bathing suits and I thought, no, there's no way that I'm going to do this. And then the time came, he's like, we got to do it. And I said, well, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just record you. Maybe I'll just record you. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going. Record you being in pain, husband. (laughs) (laughs) And then I realized if I don't do it, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed and mad at myself. So I thought, what the heck? I'm going to do it. And we had Addie record it. And we did it. And I did it and got into that water. I didn't put my head underwater though. Luke went full in, like full dove in. Fail. Um, Yeah. (laughs) This is huge for me. I got in there and you know what? I have to say it was not that bad. I mean, it was cold. I didn't linger in there. I got in, it was like, whoo, okay. And turned around and swam back out, but it was actually so invigorating and it was really good. And now I'm challenging myself to do it every May 1st. Even if we don't have like a 16 or 17 degree, you know, beautiful Okanagan day, uh, May 1st, whatever it brings, Luke and I will be in the water. So challenge accepted because we're going to do May 1st in the caribou. Now, full disclosure, I did not join my fam jam on May 1st for the swim. Um, But challenge is doing it up in the frigid waters of the caribou on May 1st and I love how you said it's invigorating because have you ever heard of the Wim Hof method? I've heard of him. I know a little bit about him, but I don't know a ton, but I know that he's done like, I think insanely long, like hours and hours and hours in ice baths. And like, did he swim in the Arctic or something? Yeah. And he like can swim under ice and like for the amount of time that is absolutely mind blowing and human bodies should be really be dead because the man doesn't have a lot of fat on him either. But so the Wim Hof method is really, I mean, yes, you're in ice cold water and like holding your breath and being able to teach your body to tolerate these sort of conditions. But, you know, in the end, all it is, is your body and what we can teach it to do um, in order to 
tolerate very extreme conditions. And it is incredible what you can do for not just your body, but actually for your mind. So like what you got to do there, which is the highest challenge of that is jumping in and not feeling the cold, literally training your brain that you do not feel the cold, but it's the, so the panic leaves and all these thoughts of, oh my gosh, I just don't want to be in this water anymore. That all leaves and you get to this place of kind of nothingness, but you still feel that invigorating feeling that you're feeling. So it's less pain and more of like true feelings that you actually get to feel without the panic reaction. So what I'm saying is everybody get a chest freezer, fill it with ice, fill it with water. And once a day, see how long you can sit in it without holding your breath and having that like knee jerk reaction. So that's a challenge or actually what they really say, you just start having cold showers. Let's start there. I was going to say like, why don't we back up to cold showers? (laughs) (laughs) Look, this is me, right? This is totally me. I'm like, let's just go do it. And Erica's like, let's do this rationally and start with cold showers. That's incredible. So, you know know what I love about it though? Like, I think, you know, when you were talking about what it does for you, for your mind, I realized that it's kind of one of those things where it helps you create the space from feeling this like emotional, physical thing and creating space in terms of reaction because you have to create that time like your reaction be get me the heck out of the water now but by doing this it's like you said you have to like come back into yourself and not react right away to to the stimulate to the cold and just get out it's like okay I'm gonna calmly swim out of the water like that's not easy to do so this is where I think the power in it is really cool. And I never really thought about it until right now, but it's creating that space of reaction time, basically. Oh my God, hundred percent. And so, you know, the, the, this isn't just about you tolerating cold water. This is training your brain to not just have knee-jerk reactions based on physical pain or, you know, emotional kind of set off. It gives you that time to make the decision and say, is this a rational decision? How can I slow my body down? How can I make this dis- decision fully? Like fully cognizant of the decision. You know where I use this and it works so beautifully? When I labor coach. So yeah, in early labor, um, you know, I kind of, what we do is we build on that. There's a difference. So you can either go, these contractions are coming and when they come, so you can be a little panicked almost. And then when they come, you know, I'm just going to get through the moment, whatever it takes. Like, I just got to get out of the moment. I'll do whatever just to get through it and away from it, essentially. Or we can go, we know that they're going to come. We know they're going to be stronger every time. That's a fact. That's reality. How do I accept this ideology? And instead of wishing it away, finding a way to be centered in your body, tolerate the pain, work on your breathing, and not run away from it. And it is actually over much quicker than you think. And so if you build that early on, it can get you kind of through to the very, you know, to the biggest waves with just more centered part of your body. And we see that in home births a lot, right? Because you actually don't have any other choices. So it's really incredible. But you guys, I want to get back to this water swim. What did your kiddos do? Did they brave the, the Okanagan chill or what? Well, I have to say my girls were pretty brave. They were in the water before we were. I mean, not fully, but 
you know, we brought their sand toys and stuff. And so they wanted to build the hole and put the water in and make the moat and they were doing all that stuff. So they were, they got up to their knees waist kind of for quite a bit of time, I would say. And you know how kids are just beautiful and it's like almost like they're ignorant to the cold. Like, and my youngest is very, she's very slim. And so she tends to be cold all the time. And so I was sitting here watching this thinking how long until we, she realizes how cold she is. It never really came. And then it was really funny because my oldest one was like, I'm going to run in the water too, after Luke and I did. And she ran and got like just above her knees and then was like, I'm good. And she turned around and walked out, but (laughs) she was open to it, but not, yeah, not a full, not a full immersion. You'll, um, on the video that she took, cause Addie recorded it for us. You can hear her chuckling, like her little laugh as I'm shrieking in the water. And I thought it was so funny. It's like my favorite part of the whole video is listening to her laugh at me. I love that. And you touched on something so beautiful, which is like, you know, their mo- their motive is different. Th- their motive is to play and to explore. And so if the water's a little bit cold, like they just pop that out because it's insignificant because they just want to play and explore and it's not so bad and they kind of climatize to it and they just do their thing. Oh, we could learn so much from that. Yeah, I think you know, kids like with it, they, they almost... Um like you said, they're so in the vision of what they want to do that they, and they don't have all the big stories and life experience that we have yet about cold and the aftermath and what that's going to feel like, you know, they're kind of new to that. So they just don't really, there's no, there's no big story or buildup. It's just like, well, I need to get the water to build my moat the end. Like it, they have a lot less resistance to things I think sometimes than we do. Oh my gosh. Story and buildup. Isn't this a perfect segue? Because today we really want to talk about motherhood and how that was a really pivotal moment for you and how kind of like that's the backdrop of us having these conversation and sharing with the world about some of these moments in our lives and what this all means and what it could mean and that other people are experiencing the same stuff that we are we just sometimes don't feel like that in the moment so Mm -hmm. you know your kids not having this preconceived notion about what that cold water means let's talk about your preconceived notions about you know how Mm -hmm. how that led you to becoming a mother and what that meant for you Mm -hmm. when we went to go get pregnant I had already had this preconceived notion that like my life was going to be over in some way shape or form and that sounds really horrible and I don't think it was like that in my face and that conscious but like when I look back and how I was thinking about things it was like okay, once I have kids, you know, I'm not going to get to do all the fun things that I was doing before. Like there's an element of my life that is just over. And I was kind of mourning it because, you know, Luke and I, we were gone on the motorcycle every weekend. And if we weren't on the motorcycle, we were dirt biking, quadding. And if we weren't doing that, we were traveling. We kind of were free as birds. We bought this house and we didn't even furnish the front half of it for four years. The reason we put furniture in our house was because when we had the baby shower, when Addie came, we were like, Oh, we should probably get some seating in here. Like we just were so free. And so I had this preconceived notion that motherhood is hard and my life is over once I have kids and I have to give everything up, like everything at the same time. It wasn't always that negative as in, Oh, I'm going to have this like sound of music, beautiful thing also happening. It's really interesting how we can have such different visions on totally opposite ends of the continuum and neither of them end up being typically true. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Okay. So it's like shocking to me that you would have this vision of, you know, your life has to make this drastic, you know, 180 degree turn 
where did, where did that come from? Do you know? I think it was just with like seeing other mothers and like motherhood is hard. And I'm not saying that we can't be there for each other and, you know, have our moments of like needing a pickup, but it just seemed like there was a lot of Debbie downers and a lot of complaining about motherhood all the time. And it just looked really hard. And then my dad, you know, my parents are incredible and they, they sacrificed a lot for us. And my dad would make the comment to me when we got pregnant. So, so you're going to sell the motorcycle and the quad now. Hey. And it was like, no, should I like, should I be? And they were like, well, you're never going to have time to do this, Erica. Mm. Oh, okay. So it kind of just, I kind of had this like scared seeing the transition into motherhood of what that looked like with babies that you kind of learn from the world. And then I also, you know, was asking myself these questions. Well, like, okay, am I supposed to sell my quad and my, and our motorcycle? Uh, I guess traveling, like who wants to travel with a baby? I guess I I must, I must give all of myself. Yeah. I have to give all of myself, give up my dreams because I'm going to have two little humans that need me and they're very time consuming. And so but it's going to be great because kids are amazing. Right. Right. Yeah. But, I, but I have to give it, but you know what the price, the price of having beautiful kids is going to be my passions for life and the things that I like to do, like the cost, I, I can't have both. So basically that was my mentality was like, I can't have both. And the next time that I'm going to get to do a lot of these things, how I want to do them, it's going to have to be like, you know, when the kids are 18 type of thing, like, right. It was not a both and it was a one or the other is how I was setting it up in my brain. And it almost sounds like, like one is right and one is wrong almost. Right. Like totally. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like, well, if I keep them, then I'm somehow, I'm not, I'm not a good parent. You're a selfish person. Yes. So I remember I, I go and I, I have Addie and we start a journey together and three months in, I remember texting my girlfriend saying, um, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster that I can't get off. I just felt so out of control because, you know, this is a really intense time in life and it's really beautiful, but you have a little human on you at all times. There's no, your body is like part of them. It seems like, because if you're nursing or even if you're bottle feeding, it doesn't matter. They are on you all the time sleeping, you know, you're up multiple times through the night. Like it's beautiful and it can be overwhelming at the same time. And so I just felt out of control. I had never really been in this, like feeling so confined space where I, and again, I had this preconceived notion. I have to give it all up and I have to give everything for her and I can't do anything for myself. So, you know, three months in the exhaustion also starts in, uh, even if you have a great sleeping baby, it can still be really tiring because a great sleeping baby, you might be one of those people who have the unicorns that are sleeping 12 hours through the night at three months, but you might be getting some people seven do. hours. Yep. And some people are still only getting an hour and a half of sleep at a time. You know, there's a whole continuum of babies and their journey. But anyways, I mean, Addie was doing not bad, but I was feeling so out of control. I wanted to look for anything in my life that I could control. And her sleep was going to be it because I also know that I don't do really well in little sleep. Like I, I know that I become a little bit unhinged. And so I thought my unhinging was because I wasn't getting sleep. So I need to nail down sleep with her. Right. So I started reading all the books, all the books. And I'm, you know, implementing, making care plans essentially. And if I could just get her to sleep and follow that perfect schedule, the perfect nap schedule, she's going to sleep through the night, or maybe we'll get up once or twice in the night. Like 
but you know, it's going to be how the, the books promise. Then I'm going to feel good. Then I'm going to feel in control. And then I'm going to be able to, you know, figure out life, but it's just not how it works out sometimes. And this is the life lesson that I got to, I got to live was that I implemented everything and it wasn't working out. And this was also foreign to me because as you know, Mona, I studied really hard in school. And when I studied really hard, I got the A. Right. And I felt like I was getting the D. Like it just was not working. And so what you were, happens- you were getting a D in your baby training because no mm-hmm. matter how much you did it and you did it, girl, like oh, yeah. we need to put this out to the world. You know, you did the steps like you followed that like a religion (laughs) yep and And you know i mean kudos to you that that says something about who you are how you're able to stick to that plan and like make that happen but when there's another little human being involved sometimes you know it's like only you can giving a hundred percent of your effort is actually only 50 percent of the equation that's a really tough lesson to learn oh yeah and so you know, I kept trying and trying and now I'm going crazy and I'm feeling worse about myself. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I'm failing her. She's not getting the rest she needs. And I'm mm. know that I'm getting more and more unhinged. And mm-hmm. now I feel like, well, okay, I'm the problem, but then she also must be the problem. So there's a part of me that starts mm-hmm. resenting her because she's not sleeping as the book says she's supposed to be sleeping. Like, yeah, what's wrong problem. with her? Right. And though this is like expectations. When you have expectations, something's supposed to work out. You get a flood of stress, cortisol, and it makes everything kind of worse, right? So I keep getting exhausted. I keep feeling like a failure. Then we find out Luke's going to Australia for work and it was going to be a minimum of four weeks and I'm not doing so good. So we decide we're going to hire a sleep consultant because I'm still sure that if we get sleep, that is going to fix everything. Luke's can go to Australia. It's going to be fine. I'm hiring the help. And I thought I'm self-caring. I'm hiring the help. Now, don't get me wrong. It was great to have that camaraderie and, and have somebody, you know, to connect with over the issue. But truthfully, you know, again, we adapted to that program. We did the program. We worked really, really, really hard. And Addison was just the 1% that this was not going to work for. Well, so the universe gave you not what you wanted, but what you needed. Yep. (laughs) But in, you know, like so hard and then so hard. And now I can be so grateful for it. In the time I felt victimized, truthfully. Absolutely. Um, So anyways, of course, four weeks goes by and Luke gets the message that he needs to stay for another two weeks. So now he's going to be gone for six weeks. And, you know, at this point too, where Luke and I were at, we were so involved in like just living our best lives together that we hadn't made a lot of connections and we had just somewhat recently moved here. And the friends that I had we're not moms. And I wasn't really close with anybody nearby here. And so I didn't reach out. I didn't have a social support network. And so I was at home postpartum, a kid that's not sleeping great. I'm becoming unhinged. I have no social connection. And so the whole moral of that story is by the time Luke comes home, I'm a, I'm a hot mess. And what got me through those six weeks was my mom, because you know what? My mom would call me and she knew crap was up. I mean, I didn't always want to admit it, but moms are really intuitive and beautiful that way. And my mom was still working at the time. So she would come up on weekends to just be there with me, give me support, 
and let me go to the grocery store by myself or go take a walk. Um, we were a little bit confined because my Addison also wouldn't take a bottle, like would not, would not from two weeks old. We tried and it was an absolute no-go. We tried all the different bottles, all the different soothers. She never took a soother either, by the way. We had tried all the different brands, tried everything. It was just not her. She didn't want to sleep and she didn't want to soother her a bottle. So anyways, my point was my mom would come up to give me bits of time. But when you're nursing that you're still a little bit confined into a window there, right? So this feeling of being trapped and this feeling of my life is over is really like coming to fruition is what it felt like. I'm like, see, you were living it. Yeah. Yeah. See, I knew it. I knew that my life was over. I knew that my life was over. So I just remember I would be sitting there with Addie crying, trying to implement the sleep routine. My soul is dying. Like it's literally dying because I feel like a failure. I think I'm failing her. I'm not connecting with other people very much. And when I did, it was that superficial, like, oh yeah, everything's great. I'm just a tired, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little tired, you know? And then people are like, oh yeah, that's, that's mom life. Yeah. You know? And I just, at this point I could feel my brain changing. Like I was so low. I was so down. I couldn't even reach out for help in a way. I just remember sitting there on the couch with a glass of wine, probably at 11 at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm not kidding. Like I was at that place of like, I had a box of wine in my fridge to like, help me get through the sleep training. Because also by the way, you know, like mommy wine time is also very societally appropriate or accepted. I should say right instead now, of so- seeing a psychologist. We grab a bottle of wine. Yeah. And again, I'm yes. not saying that you can't have a glass of wine and enjoy it, but like I had a box of wine in my fridge trying to get through the sleep training and would have a glass of wine at like 11 or 12 o'clock. Cause I'm, my nerves were so rattled. I was in fight or flight now for six months. And I remember sitting there on my couch with this glass of wine, staring at my fireplace, feeling like a wild caged animal. Like I couldn't escape out of anything. And this was like kind of, you know, also maybe like the continuation of being on that roller coaster and not being able to get off. It was like a combination of that, but I also just pictured some sort of a wild tiger and I I couldn't get out. I just couldn't get out and I didn't know how to get out. Anyways, I mean, I, I get through those six weeks. Luke comes home from his trip. And I'm so grateful to have him home. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna take Addie for a little bit. And you know, it was spring and I'm excited to go for a walk with this beautiful canyon behind our house and just getting out into nature just felt so good. So I go for this walk and my head's full. My eyes are swollen. Cause I would, you know, I would cry off and on almost every day and I get out there and I'm like, Oh, it's so nice out here. The bears. I wonder, cause we always have bears wandering through a canyon and I sit there and I think, wow, what if a bear came out and mauled me right now? Cause I didn't bring my bear ball. And instead of that being a terrifying thought, I felt so much freaking peace. I thought, oh, that feels like relief right now. And in that moment, I realized, holy shit, I'm down a path that is not healthy. But it really took that thought of like, I would love to be ripped up and torn up by a bear right now because that actually feels more comfortable than this headspace that I'm living in right now. That's how much pain I was in mentally. And it's not that I had ever been like this whole time suicidal, but the pain was excruciating and I just needed relief from that. And the fact that I would get relief from having something cause me harm, that was my, my low point where I realized, oh, I'm, I need to seek help. 
So I came up out of the canyon and the sleep consultant that I've been working with actually was really great. And she recommended a psychologist in town for me to call. So I got on the phone and made an appointment. And that's where my journey had to start was start pulling myself out of the darkness and accepting the fact that I was in this place. It's not an easy place to accept that you need help and that you're in this dark and scary place. You know, I will never forget when, when you told me that story, it was like I hit a wall when you told me that story. Like it was so beyond shocking to me because we were so close. And of course, you know, like I knew of your struggles and Addie sleeping and what you guys were trying to do. And, you know, you hired a sleep consultant. And to me, that was kind of like, okay, great. That, that could be a solution, right? For you guys. But the idea that my beautiful friend who in my mind was just going through, not just, it's, that's not what I mean, but, you know, kind of like what we're saying, these normalized kind of struggles of motherhood. And, and lots of them are normal, as in like, lots of us are going to go through that. Having kids is not just all sunshine and rainbows, but that you know, that's the headspace you were in, you know, as a, as a friend from the outside looking in, it was just so shocking to me. And I was like, oh my God, how could I miss that? It was so, I was so hurt for you, like what that meant for you and what that's going to mean for you. And how, how do you move forward from this moment and just wishing that for you? Can you, you know, for people listening, I just wonder, if you had a friend who kind of potentially had given you the ideology of a psychologist, do you think that would have helped you or did it need to come? The fact that it came from your sleep consultant, I feel like was glorious because it came from a professional person who obviously, you know, has maybe dealt with this and has seen people at the end of their rope and you had a trusting relationship with this person. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where, Sometimes we get to make suggestions to people and they just have to be ready and in a place to accept it. Know that they can't actually do it until they themselves accept to do it. They have to really accept and know where they're at in order to make the change. And that was your moment. And that was my moment. You know, I had been struggling for months with I. So Addie, you know, was sleeping not bad at night, but I couldn't sleep because I was sitting there having anxious thoughts and I would be sitting there Googling how I was traumatizing her by sleep training her. I was Googling just anything. Like I, I, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't rest even though she was sleeping or I would be waking up. I would, I would jump out of bed in the middle of the night, suddenly terrified that she wasn't breathing. And I would jump out of bed and have to go check on her. Like I was not functioning and I hadn't been functioning properly for six months. And then the, the idea of getting hurt being a relief, it was like, okay, now I'm ready to accept this idea. And I do think though, that we need to speak into people's lives. Sometimes just say what might seem obvious is in like, I'm a nurse. I've seen mental health. And yet somehow I didn't see it in myself. Honestly, I didn't realize that this is what postpartum depression was until the idea of being hurt felt good. And that was my red flag, but it took till that point. But meanwhile, I had been struggling for six months or so with pervasive thoughts and I wasn't functioning like it was overtaking my life, but I didn't realize that that was a problem. So sometimes it's like, you need that person just to call you out in a loving, compassionate way and say like, I'm seeing this in you. And these are some resources for you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and be doing it without judgment. So this is the other thing is that once you come to a place where you realize that you need help, speak it out loud to those around you. But you have to also realize that not everybody is going to be able to rise in the way that you need them to rise. Yes. And it's because maybe what you're going through is so triggering to them. Maybe they're just overwhelmed with terror and fear of what they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to make things worse for you. They just can't handle it. Like some people just can't go there. And it doesn't mean that they don't care about you. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. Like my husband is very much that way. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as we're having this conversation, I just, you know, like, we want to be raw. We want to be real. So, you know, for me, when I got to hear about your guys' struggles and everything going on, you know, for me, I was just kind of like, Meh, she can sleep in a stroller. Or, like for my little practical brain, you know, what you were searching on and the help you needed, I was not able to give that to you. And not because I didn't want to. It was just my brain is wired so differently And so I love that you bring this up because it's not that, you know, there was no love. It was like, you got to go on that journey and do it all yourself. You got to grow out of this. And I'm not saying you should do it on your own. I'm saying that somebody at the right moment caught you. And yes, you are a nurse and potentially you even fought that mental health piece even harder sometimes because we should know and we feel like we should know and and then we're like no I'm a healthcare professional like I can deal with this and that professional person was able to throw you a breadcrumb and you were ready to see it totally and you know what here's the other thing is that it's like it goes right where some people can't support you and also you sometimes it's like you almost can't share with those that you're closest with because you worry about what it's going to do to that relationship So coming from somebody that I had this relationship with enough, like we had bonded over this whole sleep thing, but not close enough to me that I felt like I could receive what she was saying without a lot of story behind it. So she was there at that perfect moment. But like, you know, when I went up to go make my first appointment, like I didn't tell Luke this right away. I got in the Mm. car and I drove two blocks away and sat in the car and made the phone call, just sobbing into the phone. And I didn't tell him, I just said, I have to go out for a few minutes. And I left because I didn't want him to know because there was somehow like some shame in that or like in discomfort. And, and like, my husband's amazing, but you know, we joke, like feelings are not his strong suit sometimes, right? Like (laughs) his strong suit is being steady all the time. Like Luke, no matter what throws at him, he shows up in that same happy demeanor life goes on. Like he doesn't get drawn into emotions very easily and I'm way more emotional. And so I just needed to go have that big emotional outbreak, not being witnessed by somebody who I care a lot about and cares a lot about me, but I just, I couldn't be vulnerable in that moment with family or my husband. And that doesn't mean that we don't have a great marriage. We, we do, we have an amazing marriage and we've got to learn a lot about each other, but This is where I'm saying is like, you know, you get to, you can say things to people in your life and sometimes you have to just hold your expectations of them. Like, as in, don't think that if they don't react how you want them to, or in a way that's helpful, that they don't love you. They do. They just can't show up in that way. So then you get to go to the next step. Where can you find community or somebody that can help what you need? And that does have to become a little bit on you and putting yourself out there and owning just your story and where you are. 
and it's okay. And there's a world of people that do want to help you. And again, it's not to say like Luke knew that something was up too, but I think he just, he didn't know what to do either. And he also had this whole idea of like, well, postpartum blues is normal. And this is really hard, you know, as a, from a man's perspective as well, like it's a big transition having a baby and we were doing Absolutely. it and we were doing it fairly alone. Right. And this is the other thing that I want to talk about is how our society, how we are now when we have babies. And especially for anybody that's had babies in these last two years of this lockdown, you know, historically we came from a village or a tribe where aunties and mummies and sister-in-laws and everybody was all around to help support the mom and the family and the baby. And now we all live in different places and then, you know, throw in a pandemic and we don't have those people in our lives to support us the same way anymore. At least most of us don't. I mean, I know that there are families, some families that do, but we try and do it really isolated and think about it. Now we buy plug-in swings or we buy plug-in jiggle, whatever, you know, like baby seats that jiggle babies to sleep. We have a computer that is how we navigate a lot of our social communication now, which is great. That's a really big plus but it's also not the same as having that in-person connection and being around all the time. Like we have artificially tried to make connection, but things that were not historically, we, we just had more involvement with others and more support. And now we don't. And I think this is also contributing to postpartum wellness and health because we feel like we're supposed to do it alone. And if we can't do it alone, then we're a failure as well. And that was also part of my story. I'm a nurse. I'm 30 years old. I have one kid, like figure it out you got this. And if I don't have it, what does that say about me? This is again, like some of these stories that can come into play and really run our show. And so I really want to bring back the idea of asking for help and finding your village and finding your tribe. And I didn't do that. I just thought that I was supposed to do it on my own. Brene Brown talks about, uh, I think it was her talks about how, you know, years ago, like women would all go to the river to wash the clothes. And of course, you go, they would bring the kids, the kids are all playing, your community, you're talking, you're raising each other's kids. And then the invention of the washing machine came and all the women didn't gather at the river anymore. And the rates of depression went up. Yeah. Yeah, it will. Oh, this is just that support. Yes. And you know, it's so interesting because I think one of the biggest messages is we're not meant to do this alone. You know, mm-hmm. actually doing it alone is so much harder. That's normal. Doing mm-hmm. it alone is actually harder because, and I know, you know, watching kids and, you know, you, you try to, as a parent, you try to teach it. Let's talk bike riding for a minute. You know, you're like, as a parent, oh, kids should ride bikes, right? All this preconceived crap anyway. But so let's just say, I want to teach my child how to ride a bike. And this child's kind of like, yeah, okay, I get it. And then it kind of doesn't work. And they're like, peace out, mom. This doesn't make sense. I don't want to do it. Bye. So I get on my bike and I go, oh, look, you know, like trying to demonstrate it, right? Because kids learn from the parents, like blah, blah, blah. And still nothing. You know, when my child was like, mom, I want to know how to ride a bike. When the herd of children riding bikes went past the house, my child was mesmerized because his kind, his little herd that he's actually meant to live in was doing something. And that was such an eye opener for me. And looking back, I'm going, duh, I'm supposed to have this light bulb moment when really I should know this. Because when we watch animals and we watch animals that are meant to live in a pack or a herd, or a pod, they 
learn from each other. The sooner we can, we can, you know, take all that into consideration and understand that children aren't meant to just live in a home with their parents, with, with none of that. And then, of course, we're so busy running them to all these things that incorporate children. All of a sudden, things get better. But then we kind of join that rat race moment, right? Instead of potentially living closer to family and just having coffee with auntie and letting the kids do their thing. That is just therapy all in itself. And you're not paying for anything. You're not doing anything other than letting nature and children grow exactly they the way they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I get people have families, some families are not connected or together or whatever. And this is where we get to create our own family, right? This is where you yes. get to look for friends and other women and who are in the same stage of life and connect in that way. You get to create your own family if you don't have family that you can do that with. So absolutely. For me, what became my community, because I still felt very isolated was I ended up, so I was in, I was in seeing a psychologist weekly and I also started finding, I found a couple of podcasts. I didn't know what podcasts were, but I found put in mothering. Um, Cause that was, you know, <laughs> what I was interested in at the time. That was the topic of the day. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I found a couple of really amazing ones about motherhood, but not in the like, you need to have your baby sleep and they need to eat this way and they should do this. But but it was about the mom, about the moms coming alive and the moms seeing life from a possibility place versus this martyrdom self-sacrifice place. So I created my own little community as in like, I had the psychologist, I listened to these podcasts, I ended up joining a group coaching program and created a bit of an online community for myself where I could connect with others and have these real conversations with. And, you know, the second time I went around with Sierra, like I joined a postpartum yoga class and I got more like, you know, being out there with, with people in my community but this is the joy. This is the beautiful part about the internet. Like there's good and there's bad. And the beautiful part about the internet is that there's a lot of resources out there. You can find what's going to work for you. So whether maybe that's a book, maybe that's an online group, maybe that's a coach, maybe that's, you know, there's counselors now. So this is the other thing. Cause you know, a barrier to counseling or to a psychologist used to be like, well, now you have to find childcare. Now you have to drive an hour or whatever it is. And now with the beauty of like the acceptance of zoom and these things, you can have these appointments virtually from your home and you can connect with others. Now I still say like, you know, we need to get out. I mean, I needed to get out of my house. Like it was, I wasn't getting out of my house enough. I was literally just like in these four walls because I was so dedicated to sleep. Like we had to follow the, again, like the sleep routine. And I didn't want us to get sick because if we got sick, that would derail us from our sleep routine. Like I was really in it. And so getting out and making space for me to go to the psychologist appointments was actually huge therapy in and of itself. But this is where you get to kind of create what it is that you think you need. And I think everybody needs a therapist and I think everybody should go to counseling. I'm just going to say that out right now. I, you don't need Amen. to be at the bottom to, to reach out for these things. And same with coaching and same with whatever it is that you're going through. This is again, the community and getting to learn from each other and share gifts. If you're in a place wherever you are, whether it's, whether it's motherhood, postpartum, whether reach out, there are people out there that want to love and support you. And especially if you have intrusive thoughts, things that you are not functioning well in your life, you are feeling like this is just something that you can't control. You need professional help. You need to find a counselor. You need to find a psychologist, find somebody that can set you up with that. 
because you need, you need that professional level support. And those other things that you find books, coaches, whatever, those can all be a beautiful supplement and give you the best case scenario. But you know, you need some professional help sometimes. And that's great. And like I said, I think we all need to check in with a therapist or a counselor. Like we all do that for our physical health. Like we go for our physicals every year or two years, or, you know, we go, we, we have no problems doing that. Most of us or a lot of us, but there's something about, we do no maintenance of our brain ever. We don't ever check in. We don't actually see what the patterns are or the thoughts that are running our life that are healthy or not healthy. So, you know, I'm a proponent for, for counseling, for everybody, therapy, for everybody. Can we just normalize that we need to make mental health a priority? Let's just normalize it. That's, that's it's, part of why I share my story is to take the stigma away and just normalize the fact that we all are going to have some times in life where we need help with our minds and it's okay. And it's normal. And that's part of the human experience. Oh my gosh. Shout it out. Because if you say, yeah, I'm getting a gym membership for the new year, everybody's applauding, right? Woo! Woo! Yeah, good for you. Yep. Exactly. But if we're like, yeah, so I'm going to make sure to see my counselor at least once a week. Starting in the new year, I bet you the room would go pretty quiet in most scenarios, right? Really, that should have exactly the same reaction. And, and, and we're going to keep hammering this home until it is becoming normalized. So, you know, on that note, you, you seek help, mm-hmm. you go see a psychologist. This mm-hmm. is like rock bottom moment. What did that do for you? You get to this point, you go seek help. And now... How did that help? How did that help you? So there's a few things that I learned hindsight. Now, I mean, I can say this is where the beauty grows out of the shit, right? Sometimes we're in these really dark, crazy places and you don't really know what's going to come of it. But a lot of the times that's where like those things you really learn about yourself. You really dig deep the things that you overcome. And then some really amazingness, amazing things can come out of the shit. The flowers can grow out of the shit. It doesn't make the shit any less hard, but there's so much potential for growth in some of those moments. So I started diving into figuring out who I was, my value system. I think that I had a lot of things bubbling underneath before I entered into motherhood that were, I didn't deal with because I didn't have to, because I was in this free place in my life where if I was feeling stressed, I could just drop everything and go do whatever I needed to do like travel, run, gym, whatever. Um, I could numb out. I could binge watch Netflix if I wanted to. I didn't want to face my demons. I can just go, I'm just going to go buy whatever. Like we all have our things that are numbing, numbing things that we don't want to face. We all have our vice. Okay. And we all have them. And some of them are societally acceptable and some of them are not. And when I say that the ones that are not societally acceptable, like drugs and, you know, alcohol and, but if you, if you scroll on Facebook all day, that's fine. If we are working ourselves to death, we're picking up overtime seven days a week. Well, that's, you know, it's okay. You need it for the money. That's okay. Or we have really interesting ways of hiding and running and numbing ourselves. And I think when I couldn't do that anymore in the same way that it worked for me before, and I was, you know, having to stay at home, I had this little human to look after. I really got all of this stuff thrown in my face. And the beautiful part was working through with psychology, with a psychologist and working through some of the coaching prompts and stuff that I had was really getting underneath some of this stuff and figuring out what I was running from and what I was numbing. So the beauty is that 
I'm way more connected to myself now than I was before I had kids. Because kids, that's, that's here's the other thing. No matter where you are, I believe in your parenting journey. And maybe the baby stage is really easy for you. And that's great. There's a good chance you're going to get triggered by your kids at some point in your parenting journey. Because kids are like having, it demands personal growth. It demands personal development. It demands leadership of you. So your kids are going to trigger you and bring up your crap. And you get to choose whether you're going to dig underneath that and rise, or you're going to just try and keep numbing out and keep shoving it away. And so for me, you know, in this journey of just, I'm just taking it all head on. That's where I'm at in my life is I'm just going to keep taking it head on. And every time I've done that, I've grown another flower, you know, or it's gotten more beautiful, however you want to look at it. So I heard this incredible term, Erica, and it's the, there's this therapist out of BC. She calls it coping privilege. And I just love that because the ideology behind it is this. Let's say you have um, two children, even twins, let's say. They grow up exactly the same. same. They experience their parents at exactly that same time, right? There's no two, three-year difference. You have these twins. And certain things happen in all of our upbringing that could be considered trauma. And one of these children ends up on the streets, no job, coping in what you mentioned was, you know, considered bad behavior, drugs, alcohol, whatever. The other one is a very successful CEO who, yeah, happens to be on his third marriage, but, you know, he's a wonderful human being who is working really hard. And the idea of coping privilege is that his coping strategies are 100% not just acceptable in society, but revered. Mm. And the other one's coping strategies are bad. And what a horrible human being. And so, you know, this ideology that most of the things we do in life are actually coping. So again, Mm -hmm. we numb out. And so let's say someone runs their face off every single day. Wow, you are so structured. You are, you know, so into your health. You are so but potentially not most of the time also not because it all depends. Did that arise from a coping strategy because you are running away from your life and this is your focus. So you don't have to face something else or is it a truly organic moment? I don't know. Everybody can choose that on their own. Right. But like you mentioned in your life before children, you were able to deter whenever that mirror potentially was showing you things you were able to be like ding not today turn it away and and just turn it away and you don't have to let that was in your power Mm -hmm. and when those children came along you are no longer able to turn the mirror and you have to face yourself every single moment of the day and no matter how many of those weird coping strategies that you had that used to work they no longer work. Mm-hmm. And you have, and so it's, can we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, what do I bring to this table? And what can I do to approach the system differently and keep looking in the mirror and seeing the growth and growing with yourself? Or you try to keep turning it, but it faces you so much, it's going to drive you mad. And I just love that you threw that out there because all these stre- children are just stressful situations that won't go away 
until you deal with what you bring to the table. Well, because then they're not stressful anymore. They're stressful because you've created a story in your head because you're getting triggered by your own trauma, your own stories, the, the shit that's happened to you. That's what's creating the stress with your kids. Like, you know, you and I have talked about this before. We're thinking if you just kind of consider things being neutral, you would have a lot less stress, but certain things happen. And we have a ton of opinions, stories, feelings about, because of historically we've experienced something along those lines. So, or societal you know, norms, all of it. And so when we're getting triggered by our kids, it's a beautiful chance to go, what does this say about me? Because a lot of the time it's not about the kid. It's about you. And that's been my journey. So as part of the beautiful flower that's come out for me was that I discovered conscious parenting, which is exactly this line of thinking. And it just landed with me like a hot rock. It was like, this is it. So I've dove into the idea of conscious parenting with my kids and it's just how I see them and how my relationship with them is now I have this beautiful relationship with my girls that I love and adore and I feel really confident in. And, and it's because of that. But again, the only reason I think I found conscious parenting was in my darkest days. And I'm looking into trauma with like what I was causing with the sleep training and in all of this, like what came out of that was finding this beautiful way of how I see the world, how I see my relationship with my kids and how I get to go forward in a way that is so beautiful. I didn't have that before. I had this more like, you know, before the kids where, like I said, I saw my world ending. It was like, well, I have to do all of these things. And now I see parenting more as this, how do I get to be, what is the gift that they have brought to me? There's nothing else in this world that would have gotten me to look at my life and myself in this way. It was having these two beautiful girls and they're a gift to me because I get to learn so much about myself and, you know, they're just beautiful human beings that I get to see and be with and walk alongside in this life and see what their potential is. And part of that came, like I said, because I was in severe postpartum depression, I was diagnosed as moderate to severe postpartum depression. You get to reevaluate yourself, Erica, and go back to who you were as a child, because that's going to help you figure out what is going to fuel you as an adult with your parenting and everything else. You told me a funny story once. I would love for you to tell everybody because, you know, this is you as a child and it's going to be, it's going to shift everything that you're going to touch and you potentially have forgotten about it or shoved it away maybe a little bit, but you get to reopen that because it says so much about you as a human and what your true reason, your true gift is. Yeah. Some of the work I got to do and I'm still doing is looking at who I was before the world got its hands on me. When I was a kid, you just kind of freely did what you were drawn to, what you were kind of good at, what you liked. And so in order to start finding passion for myself and for my life, I had to dig deep. And one of the funny, cheesy, but now kind of profound things was I would watch talk shows like Sally, Jesse, Raphael, or Montel Williams. And, you know, they'd have those guests on the show that were miserable and sobbing and at this like rock bottom point. And I would pull out pen and paper and write them letters. Yep. <laughs> I wanted to be able to have an impact on them. I wanted to help them find clarity. I wanted them to find their worth. I wanted to help them have a breakthrough or just straight up feel better. And so 
looking back at that, I'm kind of going, okay, how do I get to do that in my life? Uh, the other show that I would like to watch was Trauma Life in the ER. I think I traumatized my sister uh, by watching that. You know, I loved watching that show, seeing what they did in the emergency room, putting in those chest tubes. Like my sister still tells me how much she hated that and how horrible that was for her. Um, well, now you know why you became a nurse. <laughs> right? Yeah. And like those World Vision commercials. Oh my gosh. I would watch those and I would almost be crying. It was like a knife in my heart. And I really wanted to go there. I really wanted to be able to make an impact there. And so I've been to Africa twice now. And, you know, that's probably part of it, maybe from back in the day of being so impacted by those commercials. But now I'm kind of in this place of like, what's next? You know, I'm nursing, I'm getting to live the trauma situation, the trauma life in the ER. But I keep having this calling of like, what's next? How else do I get to help? What, what's my next level? And so that's part of this journey I'm on with this podcast. I had this weird intuitive call to do this. Like if you told me a year ago that I would be launching a podcast, I would have laughed in your face. Like there is absolutely no way. Yet this opportunity came up to do this course on podcasting. And I thought, oh, what the heck? And now here we are launching our first season. So I'm just in this place of honoring who I am authentically and answering the call and seeing where it goes rather than controlling the outcome with my head. You know, it was just like I wanted to control Addie's sleep. I wanted to control my life and it had to go in a certain way. But instead, I'm, I'm really surrendering to life and dropping into a heart space and intuition and doing the things that make me feel alive and passionate about my life. And that's when I feel like my life has flow and it feels good. But like when I was in the whole sleep thing, I felt like I was just swimming up river and it was hard and I was, and I was drowning and I don't want to feel like that again. That is the last place that I want to be. So it you sounds know. like the more we let go, the more will actually come to us. I fully believe that when we can let go of control and the ego and be centered in who we are and not in people pleasing and doing what everyone wants us to do, but be in touch with who we really are. That's when the magic happens. And this is a magic we get to bring to the world because when we tap into our gifts from a authentic, beautiful, connected place, that is what's going to serve others. That's what's going to transform the world. So, so basically going back to connection I mean, for Addie, I was disconnecting with myself big time. I was drinking wine, binging Netflix, scrolling Facebook, like just not wanting to connect with me. It was too painful to be there. And I believe that babies feel that. I mean, I shouldn't say babies feel that. I believe that she felt that because if you think about babies, they speak energy. They live inside of us, you know, the first nine months, they come into the world. They don't know the language or the native tongue that you're saying, but they feel the energy. Their language is energy. So I believe my disconnecting from myself was resulting in disconnection from her, which obviously I don't think helped our patterns and our sleeping. And so it was just adding fuel to the whole fire of what was going on. So the lesson for me translated into the rest of my life or translates into the rest of my life. How are people reading me energetically? I can say all of the right things, but if I'm not in that congruent energy, then people know it. 
and you can't build the same connection. The inside has to match the outside. The more we connect with ourselves, the better relationships we can have with others. And we're essentially blocking ourselves from getting to truly and fully experience other people and what really is available to us in this world. I think you hit the nail on the head where children are born with all of the natural gifts that mammals have. And what we do as humans, because of, you know, the last couple hundred years and what we've evolved into, we take, we actually completely ignore those gifts, but they come into the world with those gifts. And, you know, you and I are now on this journey of, we're going to go back to those gifts. Like they're able to read our authenticity and dogs and horses specifically, and so many other animals, but those are the ones that I have really been able to see. They also know whether we are showing up authentically or whether we are showing up with every single layer that's been placed upon us and upon us and upon us and upon us. And they are able to say, yes, you're authentic and now we can actually communicate or no, you're not authentic. And so there is no connection. The connection is not there. And then we make believe it. We try to connect in different ways around the entire issue. And all we do is we muddle it up so much more and make something that is so beautifully primal and easy. We make it very difficult for ourselves and for those beautiful beings. And instead of going, whoa, wait a minute, what did I bring to this table or what didn't I bring to this table becomes, what did they do wrong? How can I keep micromanaging this external place instead of going internal and saying, wait a minute, am I even congruent? Are my physical actions congruent with my emotions? Because babies see right through that. And Addie saw right through it. And every child sees right through it, right into adulthood every time. And, you know, we see through it ourselves in our friends, family and everything. But because we've never been taught, what does that mean? How do we approach this? How do we unravel this whole situation, beginning with ourselves? Um, I think we're missing an entire beautiful part of life. And we could just simplify it so much. And so I really want to commend you for being able to speak openly about your experience, because I think it is beyond helpful, not just to mothers, but anyone, anyone who has an internal struggle and is going, you know, who am I and who does everybody else want me to be? I think those are the most, the biggest questions. Am I me because I want to be me or am I this thing that everybody else thinks I am. And there's a million different versions of ourselves out there, right? There's the version that I think I am. There's a version that you think I am. There's a version my husband thinks I am. There's a version my parents think I am. And we really get to kind of let go of what everybody else thinks and be totally happy kind of just living our own version of that. Totally. Totally. Because when we do that and we are feeling good about ourselves and not needing external validation all the time, then we give ourselves permission to be creative. And, you know, we can deal with people not liking us and we can deal with feedback that we get that might not be positive feedback because we like ourselves. And I think this is where we could really ditch 
a lot of our stress and anxiety, if we just made decisions for ourselves and not needing everybody else to approve them and rely on them for our self-esteem and our self-worth, because we know who we truly are. And when we do that, like that is a powerful place to be. And so that's why I'm so excited to be on this journey with you as we peel back the layers of the onion. We get to be inspired by our guests, each other, our listeners, and the conversations that we get to have. We get to be exposed to other ways of thinking and figure out what lands with us, who we are, what's triggering us. And maybe that's going to show us things that we didn't even know about ourselves or things that we didn't even know were there. So this season, we will start cracking at what it means to connect to ourselves, but there really is so much more that we could talk about. Oh, there's so much more to unpack. You know, any one of these conversations we could have taken on a, you know, Mm -hmm. wonderful hour long conversations. Because that's what you and I do. And that's why we're sharing this with everybody. Because, you know, we want to kind of put this out into the world. Because if I'm thinking it and you're thinking it and we're calling each other going, oh, my gosh, this is what just happened Mm -hmm. to me. You know, let me unpack this with you. Mm -hmm. Then there is at least one person that listens to this and potentially gets to bring a little bit more light into their life. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing this for. And on that path of our journey this, you know, conscious parenting, like that is your jam. You, oh my gosh, you were born to do it and you know it. And it's so glorious. What does your life look like? If you were fully unleashed, daring to dream, give it to us. Yeah. You know, I've toyed with this question. Uh, when you, when you and I were talking about this question, man, like I was like, but this question is so hard and it is, it is a challenging question and I love it. But this is where I start to want to overthink it. Like, what's the right, what's the right answer? And it's, oh my gosh, unleashing. Erica, what's what? the right answer? You're so funny. I just love that. You just totally said that's where your brain goes. There is no right. There yeah. is no right answer, but that's where my, like, well, what's the right answer here? What am I supposed to say? And it's like, wait a minute. There is no right answer. Exactly. I'm like, so what is, what is unleashing to me? Unleashing to me is doing this. It's letting go of the societal and cultural expectations on myself. It is letting go of the judgment that I put on myself. It is that tuning in to who I am, being real and okay with who I am, following the breadcrumbs that life is giving me now, scared to death. Like, honestly, this is so, this is, I mean, this has been an incredible journey with you, but like terrifying in a way, like my ego wants to come in and tell me all the reasons why I shouldn't do this. I don't have the time. What are people going to think? All of that comes back into my brain. That's ego. And part of my unleashing is shedding that and working on that congruence of who I am. And right now, as it seems like I'm really on this path where I just adore conscious parenting because of how close it's brought me to my girls. Like I can say, like, I have a 10 out of 10 relationship with my girls. There's a part of me that goes, oh, don't be too, so braggy. But then I go, no, I get to own that. This is again, like, you know, it's a kind of a constant battle of the brain. But yeah, like I have this great relationship with my girls. And part of it is because I embarked on this conscious parenting journey and I want that for other people. And so when I'm looking at my passions for life, which is people and I'm getting to do the nursing, maybe there's going to be a place for me to be able to help other parents connect with themselves and their kids through a conscious parenting coaching situation. I mean, that's on my radar very strongly right now. Right now I'm following the breadcrumbs and doing some more learning and being in this place with you and my husband and my girls. 
And I know that I'm just going to intuitively know what my next step is. And it's staying on that path, staying in the energy, staying in that, like, what's next? Who am I? What are my gifts that I have to offer? And I think I'm going to get clarity on that. I know if I just stay in that energy. So my unleashing is unleashing from all of the bullshit that I have allowed to run my life. And as I do that, the rest of it, I don't even want to put a cap on it or a box of like, this is what my unleashed looks like, because that in a way feels limiting. My unleashing is just choosing to be open and having the courage and the boldness to say yes, when the opportunity comes. And I know that it's right for me. That is my unleashing. And so where it goes, I don't know. But you're you're along for the ride so far, girl. Oh, I'm along for the ride. And you know what? I think this is just, I mean, I cannot elaborate on what you just said because it's just absolutely, it's so powerful. Like, I just want to like listen to everything you just said again and again and again. And anytime somebody has doubts, just listen to that again, where it's like, just be you, let those things go and things will come. And I think this really speaks to you are enjoying the journey without having to control your destination. And if we can do that, then every day counts the same amount. It's, it's every day becomes a beautiful thing that we can grow from and learn from. And, and even if things don't go 100% the way you wanted, you can still sit there and go, you know what? This is what I'm going to take away from today. It's okay to learn what I shouldn't do or what didn't work well and grow from that instead of going, I didn't hit that mark because that day you weren't meant to hit that mark. Life was showing you, you got to approach that differently. That's okay. You'll get there, but we might just have to do it a tiny bit differently. Thank you so much. And we love every single person who is along for the ride and we'd love to hear your input on the Unleashed Facebook page. Let us know, you know, what are those things for you? And what does unleashing mean for you? And what are your tiny little things that you're learning? We can't wait to take you along for the ride and be part of your ride. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. And I just want to leave, I'm going to leave everybody with a quote. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's from uh, Howard Thurman. And so I'm just going to drop it with that because go do what makes you feel alive. Get into the zone, feel the energy. I want to hear about it. Can't wait to go on this ride with y'all. You guys, how courageous was that? When Erica and I were discussing what she would like to chat with y'all about to get to know her and talk to everybody about her big why, I was blown away at her courage to share this journey of hers and some of the really nitty gritty details of, you know, how devastating um, postpartum depression can be. I know that not just did she share it because that is part of her journey and it's part of our healing, it's everybody's healing, but I know that in her heart, If this helps one person, if one person listens to this conversation and finds a bit of light or, you know, approaches things differently and has hope for another day, then the work is worth it. That is my friend and sister-in-law's heart. Truly, she is just such an amazing human being.
this translates straight into this beautiful thing called conscious parenting, which I got to learn through Erica and um, gosh, you guys, I suck at it. <laughs> I consciously parent my animals, but I'm, you know, trying really hard to do that with my kids. And she has helped me tremendously. And I just have to remember this one time where myself and her and my sister and my other sister-in-law were all out with our kiddos and the kiddos are all playing on the play center and Erica's just right in there like a dirty shirt playing with all the kids and just loving on them and loving life and you could just tell they just blossom around her and we all said, hey, can you please move up here and start a daycare because uh, you would be filled. So this is her calling. I just know it. This is her calling and, and think about what do you do so well naturally? What comes to you naturally? That is your calling. That is your gift that the world absolutely needs. We are not all good at everything. And that is why we need each other. So call a friend, a friend who you know is really good at something, and then they will return that for you. Or someone else will return it for you. I'm this big believer in that person might not call you, but karma will bring it back to you in some way, shape or form. And the world will give us back what we need. It's such a beautiful cycle. We get to drop all of our expectations. We get to shed our layers, strip ourselves down and learn what we really love. And then things will happen exactly the way they are meant to because we are in the mind and body space where we have the ability to accept them and see them for exactly what they are. This is my call to you to have some quiet time with yourself, even just while you're driving and think about what fills you up, what makes you so happy and is there any way that you can do more of it and maybe even incorporate it into your life so that you can enjoy it more and more and more and draw other people in and give that gift away. It's such a beautiful thing. Thanks for being here with us and we're looking forward to the next time. Hey, there's just one more thing I really wanted to say and that is if you or anybody you know is struggling with their mental health and looking for some resources, we've put a couple of online resources in our episode notes. So please check them out and remember that there's a whole world of options out there and you get to find something that works for you. You are not alone and you are important, worthy, and a gift to this world. So please reach out. You deserve it and the world needs you.